0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: A few years earlier, incidentally, I went to New York and went to the WWF New York restaurant. <gasps> you went to WWF New York?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, right, we've we've gotta dig into this before we let you go.
0: Hey, I'm Kurt Angle. Hi, I'm David Arquette. Yo, it's me, DDP. Hello, I'm Mick Foley. And welcome to the Sarah O'Connell Show. And welcome to the Sarah O'Connell Show. And welcome to the Sarah
1: O'Connell
0: Show. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Right here on the Sarah O'Connell Show. Bang, bang.
1: Welcome to the Sarah O'Connell Show. Sarah O'Connell, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you very much, Tom Campbell. How are you today?
2: (laughs) I like how we are being very formal and using all of our full names.
1: Aren't we, though?
2: This feels very, very special. Uh, (laughs) Do you know what? what's lovely is to speak to someone like yourself, who, like, last year and the year before was was a proper bin fire Sarah for so for for one main reason but I've loved watching your channel just shine and just grow that's so exciting thank
1: you I really appreciate that yeah it's been a horrible couple of years mostly because we as you mentioned keep putting really flammable things in the bin which we definitely should stop doing So, yeah, my, my, my show's doing really well. Thanks. I've had recent guests include Keanu Reeves and Vincent D'Onofrio and Jada Pinkett Smith and Kurt Angle and loads of people that I love and you know admire. Does, so, yeah, it's been going really well. Thanks.
2: Does it feel surreal just to be able to reel off those names Keanu Reeves, Jada Pinkett Smith, Kurt Angle? I know I was, I was listening to uh, your Nigel Planer interview this morning. <laughs> because I'm a massive fan of the young ones and, yes. and I was excited to see that you know going through the roller decks of people that, that Sarah's interviewed, Nigel Plain is in amongst them. Um, absolutely. but uh, does it does it feel we'll get more into like the, the birth of the channel and stuff as we go but but does it feel surreal to reel some of those names off and go, yeah they're on
1: they're on the books. It doesn't. It also kind of doesn't. Like I kind of my plan was to Im- invite people that I love on my show. And it could be a first time director or author or singer or, you know, people that I've loved since growing up in the 1980s. Like Nigel Planer, as you mentioned, I used to love the young ones when I was a kid and I used to stay up late to watch all that anarchic 80s comedy. And yeah, so it's great that people are discovering and loving my show. Not only that, but some guests on my show recommend to their friends to come on my show too. So it's kind of nice that these communities have formed that are sometimes about wildly different subjects, but they all come together to celebrate a love of entertainment. And yeah, so I'm really enjoying it.
2: And what I love as well is that and again it's through the through communities that things are born and uh we put out a call a while ago just to suggest some people to to come on the show and uh and a few times and yourself even when i'd be up for it and it was news to me because i i watch your shows for other reasons like how big a wrestling fan you actually were so that I was really am, yeah. cool
1: yeah I, I saw that you were you were looking for guests and i have so many guests on my show i thought i should be a guest on other people's things and i love what you do and i followed you for years of course and really enjoy all the stuff that he do. So I was like, yeah, but it's (laughs) and so yeah, I thought that'd be a ton of fun. And you very kindly invited me on your show. Yeah, I've loved wrestling since the 1980s, believe it or not, some 20 years before I was born, it's incredible.
2: Oh well that's a miracle. You are like (laughs) Doctor Who.
1: Right? we're gonna go into and then we're uh,
2: not real doctors yes in a sense that we're not real doctors and uh we, we we both run from daleks by going up the stairs that's the love best way love a phone box <laughs> oh love a phone box they're all bigger on the box. inside and, and, and we're and we're bigger on the inside than out I think that's the other reason why we're like a doctor or a phone <laughs> box. I'm not sure where we're going with this area, but we're rolling with it.
1: But... <laughs> it's all scripted, by the way, everybody. This, every word well, of this has been... Don't give away the secret! Don't give away the
2: secret that every word of Desert Island Graps is meticulously edited <laughs> for years in advance in some cases. Ha <laughs> Oh, sorry. I meant to put laughs. Um, let's take you via a TARDIS or other means uh, to a desert island, Sarah, where you will, whilst you're waiting to be saved, uh, watch three wrestling matches uh, on a DVD or a Blu-ray, whatever you choose to watch whilst you're there. Uh, we're going to go one. V- oh, yes. Thank goodness. Somebody's keeping the VHS alive. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, We're going to go through match by match as the interview goes on. So let's start with number one. What's your first match going to be, Zara?
1: Okay, so I need to preface this with the reason why I'm choosing it. I don't think it's the best match in the world by any means, but it was my gateway, if you like, to WWE or WWF, as it was known at the time. So I'm going to take you back to 1990. It's November. I do not have Sky Television at this point in my life. I'm But a nine-year-old, and they will not give me a contract for said Sky (laughs) television. But a friend of mine down the road did have it. And, you know, they would record things for me, such as The Simpsons, because I knew it was huge in the States. I'd always enjoyed wrestling. I used to watch it with my dad, albeit British wrestling with giant haystacks and Big Daddy, all that good stuff. So there was this big pay-per-view coming up called survivor series 1990 and i couldn't watch it live at the time it was a school night of course and it was on at 1am but i did get a video recording of it that my friend kindly let me borrow and watch and it was it was such an amazing event for many reasons one it had the debut of the gobbledygooker
0: (laughs) yes
1: right who burst out of this giant egg and then danced around with Mean Gene Oakland in the ring. Sadly I, I, that. And no other
2: memories from that one. Just that. No one else debuted <laughs> that night. Just the Gooker.
1: Yeah, it was mostly the Goblet <laughs> There was this other guy who came from Death Valley or something. And Never last. He didn't go out in the sun very much, even though Death Valley is, in fact, in the desert.
2: <laughs> That's a good shout, actually. Among all the silliness that is The Undertaker, we do forget that Death Valley is in the desert
1: you should have had a lovely tan I once I lived in LA at one point in my life and traveled to Las Vegas one weekend and we drove through Death Valley and there was an abandoned car on fire in the (laughs) desert just literally engulfed in flames no one was in it it was just on fire and someone had obviously left the car and just gone about their day
2: parking i
1: guess
2: in Death yeah wow that's 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 brilliant uh okay so from this from this show yes. uh, what match are we going to take with
1: it okay so survivor series back then was very much an elimination style event so it was teams of five against each other and the winners of which would go through to the main event and face off against each other So the the main event of that particular Survivor Series was Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, Tito Santana, bearing in mind mind, this is the first time I've ever seen any of these larger-than-life comic book superhero characters, versus Warlord, Power and Glory, which were Hercules and Paul Romer, Ted DiBiase and the model Rick Martel. So of course, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior one. I was like, what the hell is this? I need to see more of it. And then went back and I started buying the videotapes of WrestleMania six, Hulk versus Warrior, and you know, back to WrestleMania three and beyond. And yeah, I I really got hooks. So
2: the ultimate survival match is the mm-hmm. one. That's a yeah. great choice. Because do you know what I miss I, I miss the 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 emphasis on the Survivor series matches? Teams of five strive to survive and all yeah. that. Yeah. And and I also miss the uh, the the one you're putting in here, which is the ultimate survivors match, where like or the survivor survivors match where like and, and I think because for one, it was always good to see like how these matches would shape up because you would therefore see some people like mid carders mixing it up with main eventers and stuff like that, and that was always fun. But also, it very much showed you the divide between the babyfaces and the heels, because the heel team was always over overcrowded, and and anybody really with a with a with a with a fair sporting head on could have maybe put the warlord and barbarian on Hogan and Warrior and Tito's team. But they went, no, you heels, you're all on that side. You've all got to fight to the doom. But it was a it was a so that was your what was your takeaway from that night? Because obviously, you know, these larger than life characters, as you say, Um, who do you think stood out that night more than any other?
1: I'd say the Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. It was clear that Hulkmania was running wild back in 1990. It was just a lot of fun. It was a high energy event. All the. You know, there was like Macho Man and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Big Boss Man and all those really sort of cartoony characters who were at their best in the 80s and early 90s, I think.
2: Who was your Sky hookup then?
1: My friend Matt.
2: Your friend Matt? Matthew, yeah what a guy because it was what it was and i think this is something that american and 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 other and, and other continental listeners and viewers don't understand is that you know we there were two types of people in the uk at this point there were people who had sky and people hmm. that knew people that had sky and it was good to have someone like a matt on side so do was matt as big a wrestling fan as yourself at this point
1: yeah wrestling matt loved it um Yeah, they'd been what he was from a large family and they all used to get together and watch wrestling as well. And then I would come around and watch the events. And I, I still didn't have Sky a year later. I remember watching Hulk Hogan versus The Undertaker at Survivor Series 1991. And it wasn't until the following April that I persuaded my parents to get Sky so I could watch WrestleMania 8 finally in my own house, which was very exciting. And I stayed up to watch it.
2: So so did you have to really plead the case for wrestling or did you try and convince your parents the benefits of Sky for other things as well?
1: I I just kept on for about two years. It it wasn't just wrestling, but, you know, the the Simpsons and all the stuff that was on at the time. You know, children's TV was only on for about two hours in the afternoon before it went to the Australian soap, Neighbours Home and Away, which I love too, but it was... You know there was the movie channels. I'm also very big into the movies. If, any, if you've seen my show, you'll know that too. And you know it was it was the whole thing, but it was just being able to stay up and actually watch a pay per view live was really special because I'd never been able to do that before.
2: Can you remember the first time away from watching it on TV that you went to go and watch wrestling in person?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I went to watch quite a few English wrestling matches. You know, when I guess from 10 to 20 or whatever, when they were just touring around the country, I'd go see them. I went to see a UK WWE event, was, which was all right. But the the biggest events I've been to were WrestleMania 21 and 24. And then I've been to several Raw's and SmackDown's over the years as well. So the WrestleMania
2: 21, let me see. So that was yeah. that was Cena and Shawn Michaels at the top, wasn't it? Was it? No.
1: No, was it? It oh. was Cena, JBL.
2: Of course it was. Yes, I'm many years ahead. It was Cena and JBL for the WWE title. It was Batista and Triple H for the World Heavyweight title in that
1: one. It was indeed. Uh, So was this when you were living in the States then? It was. So 2004, 2005. So I went to, in fact, this is one of my matches. So I'm going to skip a match and then go to this one. So we're no longer chronological.
2: Oh, let's no. Let's, yeah, we'll,
1: uh, we'll do it. We'll do
2: it in that order. So this is going to be, let's chaos. do the second match. Yeah, it's just carnage. We we scripted this there to stop mm-hmm. this from happening. We've gone off beast already. This uh, has been
1: animated by Industrial Light and Magic as well. We <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been dead for three
2: years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're looking
1: then, great, by the way. Thank you. I put some on the out. Undertaker.
2: I <laughs> got a lot of i living, living in Death Valley, getting that sun, um, but with um, but okay, so, so well, before we get to the match, um, yeah. what led you to live in the states? Because you know, we, you know, living living in you say California? Did you say that you
1: live? I in? did, yeah. So I lived there for a year. I worked in the games industry at the time, and I had a job out there as a producer. And so I was there. Obviously, WrestleMania was on. It was in Hollywood. Although it wasn't actually in Hollywood mm-hmm. Because that's not where the Staples Center is But near enough <laughs> And So yeah, I went there And that was my first sort of big WrestleMania event I've only been to two of them uh, The other was in Florida A few years afterwards
2: How did how did it feel being at WrestleMania for the first time?
1: It's quite jarring Because if you haven't been to a wrestling event before The biggest thing that sticks out to you Is the fact that you can't hear the commentators mm and so it's it's quite different it's really exciting there were people from obviously all around the world and I got a kick out of seeing people from the UK because I was living in America at the time so that was great and yeah it it was a really fun atmosphere I'd always wanted to go to Wrestlemania this is um 11 years removed from when I first started watching WWE so yeah it was really exciting
2: so you say you're out there working in the games industry at that point I was So, so was this the plan for you Sarah to work in the in in the video game world
1: Absolutely not I have a degree in animation and always loved film as well I studied film and media studies and all that kind of thing and I always liked making my own stuff but I was offered a job in America and I was like yeah I want to do that (laughs) sounds pretty good so I went and did that and at the same time I continued to I was interviewing people and reviewing films in my spare time and kept doing that which is what led up to my show.
2: So I mean that that to get you over to the states as well to do that is still really exciting but you mentioned like your your animation degree there as well yeah. so that would that's an that's an interesting path to go down because you it's it, how does that industry compare now to the industry that you entered like so getting into it i imagine it was quite different to how it is now
1: So I had a slight problem in that I loved 2D, traditional animation, Disney, that kind of thing, hand-drawn. To me, it's art. And in, you know, about 1995, Toy Story came out, 3D became more popular. But to me, that was more like puppetry, because you're moving these models around that you're, you're not drawing. It's a whole different discipline. But so I was hoping to go and work for Disney one day, and then... Shortly after I graduated, Disney closed the their main 2D animation studio oh, and laid everybody off because at the time 3D was becoming more popular and they, they started focusing on more serious films that didn't necessarily do as well. You know, they were doing Atlantis and things like that, Treasure Planet and all that kind of stuff and sort of moving away from the, the musicals that they were known for in the 1990s. So, I planned and wrote scripts for things myself, which I still actually want to do when I get enough money and resources to do it. But obviously, if I do it by myself, it's going to take me about a thousand years, working at 24 frames per second. But I still do a lot of art and I do caricatures in my spare time and paintings and all that kind of thing. So, it's one of the many things I love, which is why on my show I've interviewed people like Don Hahn, who's the producer of Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. And Charles Fleischer, who was the voice of Roger Rabbit, and Peter Lord, who's a co-founder of Vardman Animation. So I still weave all of these parts of my life that I love into my show in different ways.
2: And it gives you a chance to to pick the brains of those people as well, and just find out what makes them tick and how they it really does. As well which is really exciting. Do you think it's something that obviously you know you you still keep it alive with uh, in your free time? Would it be something that you would want to throw yourself into? Because because the the, the industry has changed so much since disney shut that 2d studios and there's so many more avenues now for for stuff is it something that you would still are you still actively pursuing to do more of
1: absolutely yeah i mean as i say i wrote a script for something quite some time ago now that i really do actually believe in and if i ever get to a point where i've got enough money i want to put together a team and make it and yeah so it's definitely something on the back burner that i'm still very much considering doing
2: but we we move back to uh, your time in the in the states and we go to was it WrestleMania
1: 21 for one at your second match today is it did we say well, it depends if you want to go chronologically or not. My my second match is betwixt the two, but it it doesn't matter narratively mm. for this.
2: Good use of the word betwixt. Let's Thank go you. with. Let's go with
1: anything with chocolatey caramel biscuit. I like those words.
2: Well, I tell you what. Let's let's double decorate and let us go <laughs> with um, the match that is relevant to what we're talking about here. Don't worry about it being chronological. We'll do non-chronological, as the script okay. suggests.
1: Right. <laughs> so this is a different kind of match to the other two that i've selected so my third match or the second one as we're getting to now took place at wrestlemania 21 so i saw it live in person which makes a huge difference too one of my favorite wrestlers of all time kurt angle versus the heartbreak kid shaw michaels oh,
2: that's a stunning match as well Absolutely. It's just a piece of a piece of art wherever you watch it live or not. Um, But with this particular one, because Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels have both had belters. Why does this one jump out to you?
1: You know, they, they were very much at the top of their game at the time. There was tons of false finishes. I genuinely didn't know who was going to win. I wanted Kurt Angle to win. And, you know, there was... Sure, Michaels goes to do sweet chin music and then Kurt Angle catches it and turns it into an ankle lock and they're both wrestling on the outside of the ring to try and throw each other through a table and they started copying each other's moves too. And it was just, it's a wrestling clinic, as they say. And it's one that I can endlessly go, but not endlessly. Like, have to sleep. But I, I, <laughs> I can watch it quite a bit. With
2: with this one as well, it's it not only is it a technical masterpiece, but for anybody that was watching at the time, it was beautifully told in the run-up to WrestleMania as well. Like some of those Kurt Angle skits on on TV were just just wonderful.
1: Yeah, Kurt Angle is a comedic genius as well, and he could really play off that. And they were both fighting to be considered the best of all time. You know, Kurt Angle, Angle slammed Sean into... the the pole outside and hurt his back and you know of course Sean had his history with his back and all that kind of thing you didn't know who was going to tap out and give in and they were doing backflips and they really brought everything to the match and Kurt's mouth was bleeding by the end of it and yeah it's definitely one you should go back and watch if you haven't.
2: Is there something when you because you were there live at this one Mm. is there something that you saw when you watched it again, that you didn't see or didn't truly drink in from the live experience?
1: It was the opposite. It was watching it live. I had no idea who was going to win. And I just remember the the crowd reacting to every punch and reversal and everything that happened. And everyone was on the edge of their seat. And there were so many false finishes and everyone was just getting ready to you know, stand up and applaud the winner and it kept just getting closer and closer to it but not quite happening and the energy and anticipation of that match was just phenomenal and I consider them obviously to be two of the best of all time so getting to see them both go at it live was spectacular.
2: You got to chat to Kurt Angle uh, for I the did. Sarah O'Connell show. It's uh, true. It's true. It's damn real. you
1: didn't um, have a broken freaking neck
2: or anything. <laughs> I, like how you op- I, I liked how you opened the interview by saying, like, oh, uh, let's talk about 1996. You you uh, winning the Olympics with a broken freaking neck. It's little things like that that make him go, OK, this is this is a fan. We've got a fan here. This is going to yeah. be fine. Uh, but in terms of like wrestling folk on your show, you've had Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, DGP, Eric Bischoff's been in there, but then you run the gamut of so many the people, David Arquette's amongst it. Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy's been on yes. as well. I know you recently had Dawn French on there, Johnny Vegas, Nigel Planer. I watched this morning, as I say, uh, just uh, uh, such a, a, a selection of people that have come to chat to you. Where did all of this? Because we've we've gone as you know, as, as Sarah O'Connell, the, the 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 aspiring animator with the film mm. under her under her belt, ready for the phalanx of animators to bring it to life. So where does where do you go from that to?
1: hosting a show like this so I in the 80s and 90s I used to live in the video shop I was you know obsessed with US culture and wanted to see all the latest releases and not only that but I used to go back and watch movies from the 1950s 60s 70s ones that I wasn't alive for but I had classics and I wanted to understand why there were classics and study them and all that kind of thing and The same with television too so I used to stay up late and watch you know Dawn French and her late night comedy shows and all these amazing people and it was something I just always continued to do and I was every time there was a new film out at the video shop I had reserved it in advance and you know I'd go back on Tuesdays and Thursdays it was two for one and I'd be spending all my pocket money and I'd go to the cinema at weekends and it's just kind of what I did and through doing that i've kind of become like a human imdb and just absorbed all this knowledge and memories of all of that stuff and i just love celebrating the people that entertain me as i was growing up and continue to today
2: so when did you decide this is something i want to do i want to use this this imdb in my brain to 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 create youtube (laughs) content which where did you when did you decide that
1: so I, I was reviewing films since 2003 i think when i was still at university just in my spare time not because i saw it as a career or anything like that i just enjoyed doing it i just wanted to share my love of films people had always come to me for recommendations of the latest movie releases or what was on tv and you know it was just a way of me channeling something that i loved really and giving myself also an excuse to do it And so I continued doing that for a decade and I did interview people, but it was when I did it, I just record the audio and I would spend years, it felt like typing it out, dictating the conversation and it's horrific if you've ever done it, it's not fun to do. So the dream was always to move into video and I was thinking about it for a long time. And then I finally launched the Sarah O'Connell show in May 2016. Catherine Ryan was the first guest on my show. We are friends and were friends then too. And I interviewed her backstage after she filmed her Netflix special. I think my fifth or sixth guest was Tom Cruise. So that went quite well. How did the Tom Cruise one come about? I was invited to the Jack Reacher 2 UK premiere and he was there and came on my show
2: see this is this is because i think a lot of people will probably want to know like what the what the secret is to some of the guests you've got and i think you know and a lot of it is is your secret it's your secret sauce and otherwise if everybody knew it then everybody would be doing it that'd be rubbish so we're not gonna i don't want to plumb you for that today because you know how we (laughs) we know how we do it and for people aspiring interviewers can you without giving away your trade secrets for Mm. any aspiring interviewers can you offer any guidance for them who are starting out in the craft and how they can take it forward
1: do it because you love it don't do it because you want to speak to the biggest star in the world speak to anybody for experience and do it just because you want to learn more about them and you know, there, there's some interviews that I may film where nobody's heard of them and nobody may ever watch it. But to me, they're as big a star as one of the biggest in the world. And I love what they've done. And you can speak to a first time film director that's made the film with zero budget and they might have done it on their phone and can have some incredible stories about how the film came together and how they called on multiple favors to get people to do cameo appearances or whatever it is. And to me, that is fascinating. And I do it just because I love it. And it's really important to love it and don't just do it because you want to become rich or famous or anything like that. And, you know, if you work hard and know your stuff as well, I can, I actually find it quite hard to watch other people's interviews sometimes because I can tell if they don't know what they're talking about or if they haven't researched it. I've seen ones on TV where the interviewer will ask a question and the person will reply, oh, that." that didn't happen I didn't do that and then they just blame their researcher I don't have researchers I don't have editors or anyone that arranges my interviews for me I do it all myself so I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about and because I spend so much time researching guests as well I only want to talk to people whose stuff I love anyway so you know that if someone's on my show I really appreciate what they love uh, what they've worked on and I've genuinely gone back and watched everything they've ever worked on because I enjoy doing it. And you and you also get
2: amazing stories from people like you know you, you sat down with steve gutenberg for ages it feels like yeah. and, and and you you've got a shoot interview with eric bischoff as well and it's two. just big and you've got two i've i only seen the one well i'll blame my reason no I was saying, <laughs> but, but what i but but it's it's that ability and i think what's nice sarah is when i hear what you do is that you you know you don't need me to say this and blow smoke you know how brilliant you are but with um with you compared to so many others is that you listen to the answers and oh, so many don't. And it does my head in where like they'll somebody will say you know, I've, I've heard I've heard interviews with the wrestling folk and the wrestler will say like and also for three years I was in the circus and then I became a wrestler. And the interviewer would go, OK, so you joined WWE. No, go back to that circus bit. That's interesting. Like and you don't get that. And it drives yeah. me wild when people don't say <laughs>
1: What's wrong with people? I know, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Like, Because I I plan out my interviews, of course, in advance, but I'm quite happy to push the entire interview aside and just go off on any tangent the person wants to. And there's been interviews where I've written 40 questions, and we've only got through three of them, but we've had a really good conversation, and I'm like, okay, I'll keep them for next time. Speaking of Eric Bischoff, by the way, the first time I interviewed him was online, kind of like this, and... I invited him to come on my show and he said, yeah, great. I'd love to. I'll speak to you in an hour. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So thankfully I'd watched all of WCW. So it was just (laughs) in my head. So we just did the interview and it was great. And then I heard he was coming over to the UK a year or so later to do an event. And we arranged to meet up in person and had another interview. And I sort of filled in the gaps of the things we hadn't spoken about last time. And it was really good.
2: What a great opportunity, just like with an hour's notice to go, okay, I'm just going to just freshen up and we'll be ready to go. But yeah, what's a great example where you talk there about, I'll have 40 questions prepared, I'll get to three. Mm. Uh, is there an interview that, that rolls off the top of your head when you, when you say that, when like an interview that you had planned to go a certain way and it just goes off piece and it becomes magic?
1: I would say Diamond Dallas Page is definitely one that I probably got through about a third of my questions, but we spoke about a ton of stuff because this is important too. Sometimes when you interview somebody, they Say you speak to someone that starred in, I don't know, Star Wars 40 or 50 years ago, and you, you're asking them these questions, and they, they might be new questions, but they've just spent so much time talking about them, and they might give you one-word answers. So if I've got a certain amount of time with someone, I want to make sure I fill it and, you know, we've got enough to talk about. So I'm more than happy to plan extra stuff and not get to it. But, you know, I just improvise based on the guests, and I get a good feel for their responses, how long they're, they're likely to be as well.
2: Again, it's that thing of oh, if you overprepare for an interview, it's another good tip. If you're if you overprepare for one, then um, it's better to do that than underprepare because otherwise you get caught short. With um, with interview, I know you say that you don't watch a lot of other people doing interviews, but is mm. there anybody that maybe when you were starting out was a bit of an inspiration mm-hmm. to you and and helped sort of carve your style?
1: Absolutely. Well, I don't know about my style because that's. <laughs> probably more influenced by just absorbing myself in the world of animation it's kind of how my brain works I'm not necessarily like other interviews and I've studied stand-up comedy as well so I go off in different tangents but someone that I really respected growing up was Barry Norman I used to watch all the the, the film 98 or it changed every year and you know he would review films but also go to the Cannes Film Festival and interview the stars and I was like wow that's amazing because you're you're getting to celebrate films with the people that are involved in them, and he doesn't want to do that. Watch your film and then speak to the people that made it afterwards.
2: No, he's got no interest in in, in you know, but but the, he he comes across like he's he's in the room and he's excellent like that, and I, and he's a great example of somebody that is is a great hand at interviews. Barry Norman, he's a legend for absolute yeah. legend for it as well. Amazing book too. Oh, is it, I haven't read his book. Is it good?
1: Yeah, it's really good. I Recommend it.
2: Is it quite juicy? Mm,
1: I enjoyed
2: oh, it. Excellent. That's nice to know.
1: Is really there, gets you in the mood to interview.
2: Because you, <laughs> that's, I like that. It's, I have that on hand. But with, I don't. You don't have to give names if you don't want to for this one. But I am intrigued.
1: Eve. Hmm. <laughs> There's a name. <laughs>
2: that's a nice name. I'll say Adam because the Bible, I guess. <laughs> um. Is there an interview that went okay? Not off-piece because that works out quite well, but one that just didn't land, and no matter for one, no, not for a want of trying, just didn't work.
1: Um, I wouldn't say there were any that didn't work. There were sometimes when you interview people, they're going through different stuff or they're in, you know, if someone's at a premiere, they might be really distracted and they're half talking to you and they're half thinking back and running back over to sign something for their fans. You have interviews like that. You also have interviews where, also if you go to a premiere, by the way, they'll ask you if you want to speak to certain people or just anybody. Now, to me, that's fun. So, you know, you have, you know, the producer is going to be there, the writer is going to be there, certain members of the cast, but they'll also Im- invite random people onto the, onto the red carpet as well to walk down. And so I've had situations where I started interviewing someone and genuinely not knowing who they are until about the third question. And to me, it's kind of like a game where i'm going okay what are you doing at the weekend are you rehearsing for anything have you got anything big coming up and you work out there on strictly come dancing and you're okay and you start puzzling out who they are and then you can sort of skew your interview based on that but there's been a few instances very few by the way because i obviously know who my guests are but there's been a couple that have trickled on that i didn't necessarily know and there was one guest that uh was a very was behaving somewhat erratically and I edited that out of said interview and it may not even be on my show but I found out afterwards they're just taking cocaine
2: wow yeah so that at least it explains why they were very erratic (laughs) yes so did you lift the whole interview out or just 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 a a lot of erraticism
1: I will not confirm or deny whether it exists or it doesn't exist but any erraticism isn't on my show but I did speak to their agent afterwards and they explained why
2: oh so how how did the agent phrase it out of interest that
1: they had just taken cocaine out they just said it outright i don't know whether (laughs) it got
2: he's. i don't know whether they just got oh he's not very well today well they're not very well today they just went flat i went yeah they they did some coke before they spoke to you yeah that
1: happened so yeah that that's not on my show but yeah that has
0: happened (laughs) (laughs) here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue them.
2: The red carpet stuff is mm. is always really fascinating, and I was and I, and I was going to ask you some stories about that because I know you've done red carpet stuff, but but it <laughs> kind of comes tied hand in hand with like the media junket things as well, because because that's a whole different sort of skill set to interviews entirely. Because when you know, just, you know having a sit down um, with somebody via via Zoom or in a room, you've got like their attention for however long, but normally with media junkets, there you've got like maybe five minutes with them. And you've got to ask questions that are pertinent, but also you try to avoid asking them the same old questions as well. So how do you prep for that?
1: It's really difficult, as you say. And the thing is, too, if you're you're speaking to someone for five minutes, so for example, Keanu Reeves was a five-minute interview, and I was very grateful to have him on my show, but there was, you know, the world's press were there. There were people waiting that were in Saudi Arabia and all over Europe and everywhere. And so... When, when you're doing a five-minute interview, you want to convey what the thing you're talking about is about. So if it's a movie, you want them to give some insight to people that may not have seen all the other Matrix movies. Why should they go and see it? But you also want them to share some experiences from the set or the favourite moment, whatever it is. And also try and ask something that someone else hasn't, because as you say, a lot of people are going to be asking the exact same questions for probably months at a time. And you don't want it to bore them to death, you know, so try and keep it creative and know what you're talking about. At least go and see the film in advance so you can just ask the questions that come into your mind when you're watching it. What do you want to know about? Sometimes I ask really obscure stuff that no one else necessarily cares about, but I do, and hopefully other people will too. And I think that's a really good basis of putting an interview together.
2: I find it's a it's a, it's a nice way to start an interview, when you just like, we had Nick Oldis on this show mm. uh, a couple years back. And uh, I think I opened it by saying, joined today by um, my auntie's favorite gladiator, Oblivion. <laughs> and he went, whoa, what, what? And we talked, and like, as you say, you have all this stuff prepped. We talked about gladiators for an hour, <laughs> it was brilliant. But when you do that, when you throw something like that, it just, it, it, it suddenly makes him go, oh, okay. This is where dealing with somebody, as we talked about earlier, somebody who gets it—you know, with somebody yeah. who's a fan—and that's exciting. Um, you, uh, the 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 timing of this was 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 really bittersweet. But uh, you 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 uploaded a a wonderful chat that you had with Bob Saget, and it was it was not long after he'd passed. It was mm. probably the next day after he'd passed. It was I, I say bittersweet because it was devastating that Bob left us. But but what a wonderful treat that was the following day. This like the brand new words of of Bob Saget. How, how important was was that interview to you?
1: I was, I was so heartbreaking when I heard that Bob Saget had passed away age 65. And so Bob came on my show last August. And so just so you know, I've already filmed the next 31 episodes of my show. Already? So, so if some are time dependent, so for example, when the Chucky TV show came out, then I will, release some, I will release an interview if I have a, a member of the cast or crew, for example, around the time that that's out. So it's relevant and I've got one coming out soon for, for Cobra Kai. But there are some that are kind of more timeless and, you know, I can release it in October or November between the other ones and still have them make sense. And because Bob Saget's interview was a celebration of his entire career, not just his current tour that he was on, but, you know what it was like the first time he got up on stage and how he got the job in Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos and some of his darker comedy that he did in the 90s and noughties that he's not necessarily as well known for but he was a genius at and the, the documentary The Aristocrats and all that kind of stuff we spoke about it all and doing the voiceover and How I Met Your Mother and Our interview really was a massive celebration of his career and life. I I loved him since, you know, I first saw him on TV and it was an honour to get to speak to him. And to start with, he actually said that he only had 30 minutes. He had quite a lot of stuff planned that day, but he was really enjoying it. And he said, you know, we can go as long as you want. And we ended up speaking for 90-something minutes, I think. And, yeah, we kept in touch afterwards as well. And, yeah, it it was a horrible loss. And so when... When I heard that he had passed away, I think it was about three in the morning for me. I was in bed, I was still awake, and you know, I was just I was really upset. And I just wanted to spend some time with him and you know, just for myself, relive this magical conversation that we had had a few months earlier. And so I did it mostly for me. It was just a process. I just wanted to spend that day with Bob as I had then. And yeah, so I edited it and I thought you know, if other people are missing him too, or they want to help celebrate his life in some way, this interview very much does that. And so that's why I put it out there, you know, just as part of, I guess, my grieving process, but hopefully to help some other people too. Yeah,
2: I can just, imagine it did, yeah.
1: Just to show how brilliant he was too, and lovely and funny and generous, but also wicked, wickedly brilliant sense of humour.
2: It's on It's on Sarah's YouTube channel, by the way. Go and listen to it, go watch it, consume it. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Where, where do you see the Sarah O'Connell show going? Um, (laughs) Dot, 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 question mark. (laughs) It's
1: very interesting. Uh, So before the pandemic occurred, I was thinking about doing live episodes on stage. And I get a guest in advance. People can come along and watch me film it. So that's one option if it ever ended up on tv great but I don't know if necessarily a long-form interview is suited for that because a lot of chat shows speak to people for three minutes they ask one funny question about something that happened to them on the way to the studio that everyone else tells as well and they'll say one thing about the movie they've got coming out but they're, they're not really the same as what I do so I'd I think at the minute, YouTube's probably the best place for them. I'm also planning to expand so that there'll be a podcast version of it so people can listen on the go as well. And I've upgraded. I've got an actual microphone now. Check me out.
0: <laughs> and
1: I've got lighting and everything, which is really important for a podcast, I understand.
2: <laughs> it's very important for audio that mm-hmm. people know that you're beautifully lit. Exactly. In in both the cool kids way and the, the technical side of it. Yeah, well.
1: because otherwise I can't see what my night song.
2: I can't, exactly. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be singing in the dark and no one yeah. needs that. But, I, but the, but moving it into a podcast, I think I'm surprised it's something that hasn't happened already. Cause it's, it, cause it lends itself so beautifully to it.
1: It does, and I have, as I say, over 200 episodes now available on YouTube, and I've recorded 30. It was 31 at my last count. It might be slightly more than that now. (laughs) And I've got interviews planned for the coming months as well, and sometimes I plan them a year, two years, three years in advance, believe it or not, and it's amazing. More and more people are kind of queuing up to sort of go on my show now, which is really nice, and sometimes I have to move people around if their filming schedules change or something, but that's why it's great to have this backup of other interviews so I can keep releasing content. And and then if something comes out this week that I love on TV, I'm very much, I'll just reach out to the writers and invite them on my show or the cast or crew, you know. So
2: It's good to have that bank of stuff ready to go.
1: It really it is. Does, it
2: really, really is. Um, we've got another match to get to, your third and final one. But before we, we do, Sarah, before we do, let's go off script again. I'd also like uh, if... Uh, if you don't mind to take with you now this is going to be difficult for you and I did I did ponder <laughs> whether or not I should throw this one at you because I know what a massive movie buff you are
0: okay um,
2: and, and I was nervous to, to to get you to play this game but we're going to do it Sarah we're going to do it uh, as well as taking three wrestling matches you're also allowed to take with you <laughs> a movie an album and a luxury item
1: oh god
2: so um, the, I figured the movie might be the tough one um, but if there's one a movie bi- one movie one solitary movie.
1: Can it be an inflatable movie that has Wi-Fi? <laughs>
2: it can be an inflatable movie with Wi-Fi, <laughs> you pervert. It can be if you want it to be. <laughs> That's fine. Um, which one are you which one you're taking? What do you think? Is that...
1: Okay, so one of my favourite films of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. But if I only have one movie, that is not the movie I'm taking at all. Oh. Even though it does give you the message of escaping, but you have to climb through some unnecessary stuff to escape sometimes. <laughs> so I don't know. I would probably go for like, a com- if I literally only had one film, I'd probably go for a comedy or a musical because it's something you can re-watch a lot more. The Wedding Singer.
2: Nice. So, 90s what?
1: film set in the 80s, amazing soundtrack, love the cast, endlessly rewatchable.
2: There you go. That's that's a good shout. How about an album?
1: Just for my own amusement, I almost said the Wedding Singer soundtrack, but that would really make a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm going to go hmm, one album. i ah, see, th- this is tricky too, because I-, I think for my favorite singers, then i think if i went for a best of album or a compilation like a now something it'd have more variety on it ooh gonna...
2: what was your I'm, first I'm... now album out of interest
1: hmm i think it was 28
2: okay good vintage
1: yeah and i got up to time? about 35 i think 36 did
2: you get a little bit sad when you saw that they were now beyond 100
1: I, I feel I do feel that way in myself that they could very well be in that. Yeah, it's, I, it's I felt bad,
2: my I it. felt my I felt my spine crick.
1: Yeah, when I spoke
2: when I noticed now one hundred. When that I feel came. like
1: they should be on like sixty something. Yeah, I think I I would hope they were
2: eternally on on sixty something, but I, they're not. Were, but were it's you?
1: exciting to be in the future though, right?
2: I mean, yeah, it's it's we are living in the future. Like, we, you know, we were writing sci-fis based in this particular year. I'm yeah. just annoyed with the, the the lack of flying cars. But apart from that, we're all right. right. I'm
1: That's one thing I'm actually quite relieved about, because I, I've always worried that if they run out of petrol or <laughs> potato peel, that they're just going to fall out of the sky. I
2: thought you were going to say they'll be stuck up there all night. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's even funnier. <laughs>
2: it depends
1: how they work, right? <laughs> I like the idea of them running on potato peel. That seems- uh, that's that's from Back to the Future 2. So Doc Brown would take loads of vegetables and peels and things and stick them in the top of the car. But see, Back to the Future 2 was coming up from seven years ago.
2: Oh, that's the that's it now. That's the past, isn't it? I It's a distant past. That's that's terrifying. Um, That's 48
1: Fast and Furious movies a day.
2: (laughs) Are you going to take a Now album with you? I'm not. They're
1: saying that a lot of them are quite rubbish, aren't they? Like they've (laughs) probably got about three good songs. I'm going to go Mariah Carey number ones.
2: Oh, good shout. Which is the number one Mariah Carey song for you?
1: Mm, Hero.
2: Oh, beautiful. Nice Mm. choice. Nice choice. Uh, Luxury item. What would that be then?
1: Goal. so it's it can thing. be it can be something with a bit of Maybe
2: sentimentality You can, i mean you'll have mansion. a mansion you can bring you can if you want to you just assume that if you <laughs> want to just bring a mansion <laughs> it can be something with sentimental value it can be a bit of tech uh that, to keep okay. you used on the island my, it
1: my sentimental item is a mansion that's got a cinema in it <laughs> Fair <enough. laughs> so that i can watch the wedding singer and listen to Mariah Carey.
2: I heard you talking on a podcast recently mm. about uh, about taking movies onto a desert island, and and they were talking about the whole idea of building a cinema on the island.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I like the fact that that idea has been carried over. Then,
1: uh, I still very much mean that. I think that's a very good idea.
2: I think Desert Island Drive Through is a great podcast. I think there's I think there's that's funny. a money idea. I I I couldn't even be mad because this is stolen from Sue Lawley, so I
1: can't even be mad. <laughs>
2: Lawley's livid with me Her people keep ringing
1: um, I you... love Sue Lawley's Wrestling podcast By the way <laughs>
2: it's my favorite one too i liked it when she won money in the bank that was a great yeah. year sue lawley did that john can
1: you animate that thanks john um but well, they don't quite have enough wrestlers this year to go into their events do they so they are pulling in people from other places
2: oh it's oh it's 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 a funny one because they, they have sacked everyone they have. just in time for like the time they need 60 bodies in one match
1: they didn't think it through
2: they really didn't. And what's funny is we, we did on the day of recording this news, we, we did a story about how the, uh, the former Iconics were approached to go in the Rumble and they both went, nah, yeah. nah, you're fine. <laughs> I wonder how many others of WWE have just gone high. We, we know we sacked you, but do you want to come back and just do this one match and lose? Yeah. And
1: Num- Number thirty is going to be referee Mike Chioda or something. <laughs> that would be
2: flipping amazing.
1: I'd watch that. Are you? H- how are you
2: feeling about the product at the moment? Like as somebody that like, like myself who's who's been through the golden era, the new generation era, the Attitude era, the Pipe Bomb era, whatever we call it. Like, how are you feeling about the product at the moment?
1: Kind of disappointing. Hmm. I feel like they've fired a lot of people that I liked and there are still some great people in WWE, of course, but, you know, with there's so many options out there. I watch AEW probably more at the moment and I don't know. I, I feel like they've dropped the ball a bit. I don't particularly love what they've done with NXT either and I don't know. I think they're in a transitional period at the moment and they're, they're not where they need to be i don't think
2: the sad thing is is that so many people i speak to like watch AEW because they say it feels like what WWE used to be
0: mm.
2: and and it's and it whilst they're not doing everything perfectly it's there's a lot to like about it about what they're doing and it's not perfect but then um with WWE is somebody like you say that is has been a fan for so long like it's it's a rough and i wonder i do wonder if i wasn't in this line of work whether i'd still be watching as as diligently as i am Mm. (laughs) i don't know if i would be who Uh, uh, so go on i was was just
1: gonna say to be honest with Raw and smackdown a lot of it i do kind of skip through Mm. these days and three hours is a
2: long time
1: (laughs) it's it's a lot isn't it it's
2: it's it is a long time will you be watching the rumble though
1: of course, I've never missed a pay per view. I've watched every since WrestleMania 8 as well. I've caught up with all the ones before that as well, so I can go back to WrestleMania One and confidently say I've seen every WWE pay per view ever since.
2: Nice, that's a good, that's a good boast. I like it. Where um, this is going to be going out the day after the Royal Rumble because the Rumble's on a Saturday this year.
1: I can't believe Mike Yoda won.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll cover all bases. I can't believe Mike Yoda won. Lost is the higher power. Dink the In...
1: Clown, not Dink. Dink is back. <laughs> Can't
2: believe they brought Dink the Clown out. Goldberg. Throw out Goldberg. The whole gang. They're all here. So um, pick a pick a winner, Dink, Mike Yoda, or somebody else. Big E. Big E, there you go. Probably Dink. Maybe Big E. Hey, look, so if you're listening to this, you'll know the answer by now, but we probably said the right answer.
1: Uh, or, or Brock Lesnar or someone, I don't know. It'd probably be
2: Brock, wouldn't it? He wins everything yeah. at the moment. Let's do your third and final match, then, Sarah. Okay. We've had uh, we've had the the Survivor Survivor match from Survivor Series 1990. We, we had Angle versus Shawn Michaels from uh, WrestleMania. What's your third one going to be, Sarah?
1: My third match is from the 17th of March, 2002. You're going to know the match the second I say the pay per view WrestleMania 18.
2: Hogan Rock. Hogan Rock. Ah. Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Rock. This is special because it's not about the quality of the match.
1: This one is purely about the fans and the nostalgia and it really was electrifying. So to set the scene at the time, The Rock was arguably the biggest star in WWE at the time. I think it was slightly pre-Scorpion King as well, so he hadn't tainted his legacy with that CGI master <laughs> that film was. <laughs> And <laughs> I think he might have done you know. Had he? I can't remember. Was I it think he thousand three. I think he went away in a one
2: to do the he mummy the returns. Mummy, mummy
1: returns, yes, but there was a spin off film which was just the Scorpion King.
2: I think that was after. Yeah, that was after Hogan mm. Rock, but I think he'd done the CGI Scorpion bit.
1: In yes,
2: one. absolutely. So O two was Scorpion King. Yeah, so we're we're in the, we're we're about we're about to lose rock full time, pretty much.
1: So the important thing is now you've just got a matter spike in comments because everyone's going to be saying if we're right or wrong. I am um, gobsmacked at the thought
2: that somebody on the internet would reach out and tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> That's not how the internet works. It's They're not all in spying. their nature. It's not in this natures of absolute strangers to tell me that I'm crap at my job. It's not in their nature, Sarah. They're all too nice.
1: <laughs> They're so relaxed and give you the benefit of The doubt, you know what they really do, it's underrated, yeah. I
2: know, (laughs) and they get sarcasm, they're brilliant, aren't they? They're just the best.
1: I Uh, love them, I actually do love them, and I really appreciate them subscribing to my show and watching yours. (laughs) Good shout!
2: So, is there a moment from this match from Hogan Rock, um, that Hmm. sticks out with you?
1: Okay, so we're in the Toronto Sky Dome. The Rock, as I say, is the biggest star in WWE. Hulk Hogan was the biggest star in WWE. He'd gone away, gone to WCW, become a heel, joined the NWA, new world orders, returned to the WWE, and he's very much the, the bad guy of this situation. But early on, The Rock attacks him and the crowd boos, and he looked really confused, and then... Hulk Hogan was scratching his back, doing low blows, all that kind of thing. And no matter what he did, the love for him in that match, people just cheering anything. And I knew that the Mm -hmm. audience were going to have a massive influence on this match and how the wrestlers responded to them because they needed to. And, you know, when they started pulling out all the old moves and, you know, doing tests of strength and all that kind of thing, it was just, it was a really fun match. And to me... It's everything that wrestling is It's it's entertainment, it's a spectacle These are two of the biggest stars in the world And arguably Not one of their best matches But the most entertaining to watch
2: uh, Where were you when you watched it for the first time?
1: I was on my sofa
2: So this was uh, Probably with some snacks Nice, what were the snacks? I don't know I was probably just shoveling them in <laughs> It doesn't matter what they Could were. be anything um was this in, in the UK or were you LA based? Uh, that was in
1: the UK so this is uh 2002's before I went to America
2: right that's nice that's nice but um what brought you back out of interest
1: so I, I was just there for a year I just had uh, they used to hire people with these sort of student visas that were cheaper to so right. you'd the idea was you'd go there and learn for a year but they'd sort of pay you less <laughs> kind sounds- of thing so, yeah, That's I crazy. stayed there for a year and then I came back and, you know, I just went off and worked to loads of other amazing companies too. Uh, but it was a really good experience. And, you know, I got to, uh, as I say, go to WrestleMania and Raw and SmackDown and all that kind of thing while I was out there. And go, <laughs> I remember seeing the premiere of, I didn't go to it, I was just there. The the premiere of Scooby-Doo 2 was just sort of like happening. <laughs> And stuff like that. So it was was just fun to be in that area and you know visit all these things I loved. And a few years earlier, incidentally, I went to New York and went to the WWF New York restaurant. (gasps) You went to WWF New York. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh right, we've we've got to dig into this before we let you go because Matthew, Greg, and I who do the classic SmackDown review, we are fascinated by WWF New York. So talk, talk me through your experience (laughs) at WWF New York. So you walk, you walk through the doors.
1: I'll say, well, so to start with, you have to queue up for like two or three hours because they let a certain amount of people in. So anyone unfamiliar, what happened was when this restaurant opened in Times Square in New York, When Raw or Smackdown began, they would be live from that restaurant. So they're trying to get people to go there. So you'd go there, you'd get a table, they'd serve you some terrible food. There was sometimes an opportunity to meet a wrestler. So I think when I was there, there was Canyon and Hardcore Holly. Oh, you lucky thing. I know
2: so you so you queue for two hours mm. so you go in is is canyon and or holly on the door meeting you or are they just sort no, of working in the room they,
1: they come out for like 10 minutes and you might get an autograph and a photo maybe and that's kind of it it's not that exciting but they do occasionally go live to the restaurant where you order just to cheer as the cameras fly around and then then you find yourself in this really terrible restaurant
2: <laughs> so we were, were you there one night where they crossed to at uh, the restaurant.
1: Both, yeah, I went for Raw and SmackDown.
2: Brilliant. Um, so... I interrupted
1: my holiday to do that twice.
2: And did you queue for two hours both times? Very much so. So, And you're watching the
1: NASDAQ thing fly past on the stock exchange opposite. So
2: you're learning a bit about stocks and stuff as you're waiting Mm -hmm. in the cold of New York.
1: 500 index. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I think it's something (laughs) under the table, isn't it?
2: I think think that's when you're trying to uh, hit on somebody in a restaurant. Mm. Um, And it's the score that they keep. Yeah. What did you order from WWF New York? I
1: think, I want to say... This could be wrong, but I feel like it was chicken wings and some kind of potato skins.
0: Did they guess, have uh, funky wrestling well. names?
1: I don't remember. I'm still quite traumatized by it, but they—I <laughs> still got a glass somewhere, uh, a WWF New York glass. It's
2: quite exciting. That is very. Somehow is...
1: hasn't broken.
2: <laughs> um, the, what was the, what was in terms of the ambiance? Were they playing music in there?
1: It was really good actually because it was full of wrestling fans, and I spoke to quite a few people just in the line, waiting to go in and you know, talking about favorite matches and all that kind of thing. So it was fun, but it was a lot of hard work to get in there, and I can understand why it closed.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing we take from it is that like, we we get why this went, but we're just yeah. fascinated by it. I'm sad I never got a chance to do it, but I, I'm happy that through degrees of separation, I now know somebody. <laughs> The right. ate at WWF New York twice <laughs> and had a very underwhelming meal in front of Hardcore Holly. And w- <laughs>
1: did, I, he, I went, did he come I went, out went, while you were eating? It's kind of afterwards. They like, <laughs> I think if memory serves, he kind of there was a bar in the middle, and so the rest of them would come out, and you just have to sort of line up and go and speak to them, and get their autograph, and whatever. Mm-hmm. what
2: what happened if your food arrived at the same time as hardcore i I think
1: they'd coordinated it so that wouldn't happen
2: okay that's fair so is it like did did everybody get what's it what i compare it to i will let you go i'll let you go in a minute i promise but i'm just fascinated i've got a heart i've got a deal yeah (laughs) um, because like the was it like a lack of better term like murder mystery where everybody gets served at the same time
1: it was it was kind of like being in a comedy club and they take your order and then you just get this food that they obviously don't care very much about and but you're not there for the food, you're there for the just to, you know, be there and soak up the atmosphere and buy merchandise and be in the background on TV or whatever it was. And yeah. Did
2: you get did you buy any merch on the way out?
1: Probably all of it. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you for letting me pick your brain on WWF New York. I You're feel. very
1: welcome. I think
2: Matthew Gregg is going to be delighted.
1: It doesn't come up enough. It, does, it do.
2: you know what? doesn't. It does on the SmackDown review, but we are a, a pocket of people unto ourselves, us and the five people that listen. So it's just with us. It comes up on a weekly, but now we can say it's come up at least here.
1: Sarah, I, think became, I think it became like a hard rock cafe or something afterwards. Oh, I
2: think it's either that or a um, or a lobster place. I think it might be a lobster. Place. I think it's a not... lobster now. I think so. I think when, when we went, I think it was a lobster place, where WWF New York was mm. uh, like a bu- or a Bubba Gump, Bubba Gump, shrimp, maybe.
1: See, I like Bubba Gump. It's nice.
2: Sadly, mm. Harker Holly doesn't come out and talk to you whilst you eat your shrimp. though. So therefore it's immediately lesser, less, less <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Sarah O'Connell, it has been an absolute joy uh, to welcome you to Holic Island. Where can people go to find out everything that you are doing?
1: So you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah O underscore Connell, C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Search, of course, for The Sarah O'Connell Show on YouTube. Over 200 episodes there and tons of amazing guests on the way in 2022 and beyond. Also on Instagram and TikTok at Sarah O'Connell Show and Facebook as well. And I think my space is closed now, Bebo and... (laughs) <laughs> All those kind of things. But, you
2: know. I think. Uh, I think uh, Bebo was in the back of that burning car <laughs> you saw in Death Valley. Yeah. I
1: don't even know what Bebo is. I just it's a funny. It's like <laughs> GeoCities, isn't
2: it? I think Bebo is a bit like MySpace, but when we were adults being on MySpace, the kids younger than us were doing Bebo. Yeah. So it was the it was the next one along. But um, if when if I didn't get Bebo, but certainly MySpace, I think MySpace. I think your MySpace MySpace account may still exist.
1: I hope so. Some really hot takes about Lost Season 2 on there, probably.
2: (laughs) They definitely know where they're going with this. Yeah. It's absolutely fine.
1: The smoke monster will definitely make sense at the end. It has to. (laughs) There's mysterious numbers.
2: As as will this interview make sense at the very end. Exactly. I'm kidding. It won't. In
1: this lifetime or the next.
2: (laughs) I think that's a perfect place to cut it. Can I ask you
1: one question? (laughs) Of course. Would you keep in your money in the bank?
2: I will show you. I will show you, actually. I'm pretty sure I put stuff in here. When I was cleaning, because my art of cleaning is just to hide things, so I can tell you in here, <laughs> I was looking for them. I'm glad. I'm glad you've done this, <laughs> because in here is
1: um a <laughs> I totally forgot. I forgot.
2: This is this is Ace. So right. Um, obviously I haven't opened this since the summer because I got sent this from a beard oil company to wear on a news video. And I was like, of course, it's free clothes without a doubt. So I've got that. I have these. I really like these, but everybody said that I did, they didn't suit me. I've got some lovely white jean shorts. I like them. I like them personally. And and I've, I thought I'd thrown this out. Apparently, I, I don't know why they're in here. It's a, it's a Rick and Morty T-shirt.
1: Amazing. That's in there too. All
2: things I've been looking for haven't thought to look in the briefcase until you asked would me you? to open
1: it. Exactly, it was just hidden away. See, so, that to me indicates you were doing some panic tidying at some point.
2: Probably v- visitors. Yeah. <laughs> just like shove them in there, and they're the keys <laughs> it as well. Sarah, you've, 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 you know, we we started this interview barely knowing each other. You've you've ended the interview by helping you find some lost clothes. So thank you. <laughs>
1: Oh, you, you can you can call this Tom Campbell and the Lost Clothes. It sounds like a, a fancy adventure film.
2: Will you animate it if we do?
1: Oh, yeah, of course, I insist on
0: it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter.